welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is with my new friend, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. We get into the brain, the mind, personality structures, how it can come into greater relationship with ours to come into greater relationship with our relationships. We also touch on split brain theory developed by Nobel Prize winner Roger Sperry back a while ago. Uh, and these different character types that we all have existing within us. Uh, get into Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, our guest of today, her most recent book, Whole Brain Living. She describes four distinct character types that uh, is specifically extracted from the anatomy of our brain and how that correlates to our personality, to our thought structures, our identity structure, and things of the sort. This truly is one of my favorite conversations that I've had on this podcast out of 400 and I don't know how many. Um, I just really, it was a real pleasure getting to discuss these matters with Dr. Jill because she, her story is unbelievable. Um, I'll let her tell it in here. Uh, if you're not familiar with her already, she has the, I think she has the first viral, quote unquote viral, um, Ted talk has like 26 odd million views or something of the sort. Her first book is called My Stroke of Insight. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, Oprah is a big fan. She's featured her a bunch of times and uh, she's just great. She is a Harvard professor or was a Harvard professor. Um, her, she's a neuroanatomist and she went through very interesting experience of experiencing a stroke uh, in her left hemisphere of her brain and uh, she essentially that whole area was shut down for quite a while and so her being a neuroanatomist from harvard uh, she had a very unique experience with that process and then rebuilding so we get into that in this conversation i appreciate you guys so much for tuning in i appreciate you subscribing so you get each week's episodes uh, appreciate the reviews wherever you're, you're listening to this and uh, just appreciate you in general let's get to it with my gal, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Thanks for making time to do this. Oh yeah, no, I read about you. You're quite the interesting fella. So I think we're gonna have oh, a very interesting time. That's so kind, I, I appreciate that. I've really enjoyed looking into your stuff. I've been like pretty much nonstop listening to interviews with you since a couple days ago. And you're great. I mean, you already know that, but you're, you're, you're a goddamn gift to the world. Well, I, I, I joke, I say I'm an inch wide and a mile deep. And, you know, if it fits inside of my mile deep, I'm in. I get that. And um, if, it's outside it, of, if it's outside of that inch, it's really hard to get on my calendar. Is there, is, yeah, me too. Is there anything particular that you would love to touch on in this conversation? Obviously, we can share about the, your latest book. Um, we can share if there's anything else you want to point people to or. Well, I think that you and I have a natural meeting ground. You're aligning with what what comes naturally and how to really capitalize and and manifest that. And you know, that is really whole brain living. You're you're not just coming in as one or the other. You're finding this magical combination of the two that works well for you. Yeah. And you're thriving as a result of that. Thank you. I appreciate that reflection. So I'd like to start, I guess, just starting to kind of pick pick around it. Like, what is personality? Uh, what is what are our thoughts? 
Where do they exist? However you want to go with that personality, thoughts, self-identity. How do we start? You're, <laughs> I'm obviously not a very great interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to, I got to go back to the cells. Every yeah. ability we have is because we have brain cells that perform that function. It's pretty much that simple. So any thought that we have, we have cells that are communicating with one another in circuits resulting in these thought processes. And then any emotion, we have emotional tissue. And those cells wipe out the cells and you wipe out the emotions, wipe out the cells, you wipe out the thinking. And so we are really this magnificent collection of these beautiful neurons inside of our brain and the personalities that we exhibit in the external world, which is really pretty complex, is as complex as the cells making up the circuitry underlying each of those personality characteristics. So that's where I always begin is at the anatomy of the cells of the brain. Hmm. So where does a memory exist? Because I don't know that it exists in a specific point. It seems kind of it's more like it's like a fractal throughout the system and different parts and form different aspects of it and all kind of integrates together to create this experience of mind. That's about as much as we know about it. All it's right. not like in order we, we understand the process of creating memories, short term memory versus long term memory. We understand the underlying anatomy that we have to have in order to manifest it, but how or where is it stored? It's not like there's a memory place in the brain and you wipe that out. But if you wipe out a certain group of cells in the hippocampus, then which is a group of cells in, in the emotional portion of the brain, then you can no longer make uh, long-term memories. So, uh, so we understand kind of the circuitry underlying the creation of it. But the memory is, uh, you know, perhaps even this overall manifestation of, of an experience comes in. Uh, I'm organizing that data of a memory. All of the different pieces get organized in different pieces of the circuitry, like the sight would get organized in more visual cortex, the sound of the memory in auditory cortex. So a memory in and of itself is a very complex structure. Yeah. you. So you had, and I, I want to try to refrain from asking you to go too deep into stories that you've told probably hundreds or thousands of times at this point, but you suffered you. A, a very stroke, I think would be the correct terminology. I think it's, was it arteriovenous hemorrhage was a specific version or, or something along those lines when you were 37 and it happened in your left hemisphere, shut down that left hemisphere and had translated to you having a very special experience of this like transcendent unicity and then building back that left hemisphere and that relationship to other and such. I'm sure I misspoke a lot, but can you kind of share a little <laughs> bit about that in, in yeah. the the least redundant yeah. way possible where yeah. you're just like, I've told this story way too many times, bud. Well, you did, you did uh, pretty good. But I think that the really important piece about the story is that I was a neuroanatomist at the time, which means I study the anatomy of the brain. And when somebody studies the anatomy of the brain, I am a cellular anatomist. So that's why when you say, where do we begin? I go to the cells. And so I was actually teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School. And I was teaching head and neck anatomy, which 
uh, maps, when sound goes into the ear, it goes through the ear apparatus, and then it gets picked up by the auditory neuron. And then where does it go inside of the brain stem? Where does it go inside of the circuitry inside of the brain? And these are like wires, if you will, and very predictable between your brain and my brain. So I think in terms of, of the way the brain organizes all this information coming in, and then I wake up one day and I have a major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. It's an arteriovenous malformation where an artery and a vein were, were directly connected to one another without a capillary network in between. And the high pressure of the arterial system connected directly to the negative pressure system of the vein it couldn't take it and it blew off the vein. And I ended up with this blood accumulating inside of my cranial vault where it did not belong. And so all of the cells and all of the circuits around that blood, blood is directly poisonous, toxic to brain cells. And so brain cells were beginning to die and some of them would just cut themselves off from other circuits and kind of curl up into a little ball and hide and hope that maybe one day, uh, you know, they go dormant. Maybe one day they'll wake up. Maybe one day they will not. So I experienced this major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I watched my perception of myself in relationship to the external world completely dissolve circuit by circuit by circuit circuit go offline. And after four hours, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. And I became an infant in a woman's body. And it was very exciting through the eyes of a neuroanatomist because I was watching circuit by circuit, ability by ability go offline, but I didn't go unconscious. I still had this right hemisphere and right hemisphere is a very different tool than the left hemisphere. And it would then take eight years for me to completely rebuild the circuitry of my left brain using that right brain uh, skill set. And during that time frame, I was listening to an interview with Oprah from, I think it was like 2017. Uh, one of the things that stood out that was very interesting is you were able to visualize the concept of language within your mind, but you weren't able to actually, you didn't have the instrumentation to get it out. Exactly. Which is that very- is exactly and, and I actually, I actually described that to similar. I had essentially in many ways become autistic, certain characteristics of autism. But the difference between me and someone who has autism was that I had, no, I knew what it had felt like to have language or I knew what it felt like to have linearity of thought, or I knew what it felt like. I knew all these abilities that I had had. I didn't have them anymore, but I kind of had a, a, an end game roadmap. So then I just had to kind of rebuild section by section in order to be able to obtain all function again. And before that, your your mom, she called you her, what did she call you? She called her, your, her little Harvard doctor. I was her Harvard doctor daughter. Harvard doctor daughter. And then her you. Harvard doctor daughter. And then, and then, you, then after that. I became a breathing body in the bed. And it was it, it, the juxtaposition of those beside each other, I find very interesting because in some ways I feel like that, that kind of blob of, of oneness, you know, or, or magnitude or connection to everything. Like there's the, the Walt Whitman quote, I, I'm large, I contain multitudes. 
It's like you kind of became that that thing, whereas before that you were this concise, respected, left hes- hemispherical being. And to be able to hold both of those, you know, within like a 48 or 24 hour period and, and to be able to, to hold those two positions, one position is really well respected in culture and is kind of bred and like groomed in culture. And the, the other side, not as much. And you were kind of... <laughs> but then but what was interesting is you really loved the other side yeah oh well you know blissful euphoria who doesn't want that and that (laughs) you know the magnificence of just the present moment you know the present moment is this place this space and time that is rich with every sensory stimulation that we have and the experience of the present moment. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It's spectacular. It's exciting. It's interesting. Oh my gosh, I'm alive. Right. As opposed to my mind is somewhere in the past. It's thinking about why did I put these particular shoes on? Uh, what am I doing later this evening? I'm somewhere else thinking something else. And the richness isn't there. And the richness isn't there because it's a figment. Our past is a figment of our imagination. Wipe out a group of cells and the past is gone. And as is the future, we really we have to have this left brain skill set in order to have linearity across time. But then you stop and you think, oh my gosh, imagine that here we are, we're this creature, we're this living being, and we're bringing all this information in in the right hemisphere in the present moment. We're having this amazing experience called life. And then it's like somewhere along the line, a group of cells in the left brain say, hey, it would help in the present if we could remember the lessons that we learned in the past so that we don't reinvent the wheel every moment, right? And so a, a certain group of cells steps out of the present moment reality into a time that doesn't exist at all called the past. And it's like, how does that even happen? And what a wonder, because then all of a sudden we become this bridge across time. And it's it's a miracle. I mean, just at a biological phenomenon, how did, how did the system figure out how to do that cool thing, right? I mean, we're just amazing. Yeah. How does that, I know you've been asked this question before, but how long did you, were you existing in that kind of like unicity, right hemisphere, um, oneness state? Uh, I, I think it, I've heard you mention it was, it was several months and it kind of you like slowly transitioned it back into being more goal directive and having a relation to personality and who you are. Well, it was. It was eight years before I felt like I was a solid instead of a a fluid. Wow. Because I'm a fluid. You're a fluid. We are fluid. We are fluid in a fluidity of electromagnetic radiation. I mean, we are fluid. And my perception of myself as a fluid in relationship to everything around me is a very different way of looking at myself than what the left brain does when it comes in and it says, I'm a solid. And I am separate from you. And in that separation, I have my own identity. I have my own individuality and I have my own life. And it doesn't interact or isn't influenced at all by yours. But the right hemisphere knows that that's not true. So I shifted away from the I am a solid into I am a fluid, a part of everything. 
And I remained as that as my dominant consciousness for um, well over eight years. It was lovely. How did that affect your life? How did that affect your your perception? How did that, something that happens within, say, like in the psychedelic sphere, you go do ayahuasca, you know, for a weekend or whatever, and then you come back and, you know, during that time frame, you're, you're probably exposed to, I would imagine, maybe very similar sensations at times, maybe very different also. And then you come back and then the biggest thing is the integration. And that's what oftentimes is, is lacked within the psychedelic movement is a, there's a lack of integration and a lack of resourcing for actually creating change in this like objective concrete reality that we come back to. Right. How does a per, how do, how do you, or how does a person take those lessons of that unicity and all of those, all of those words that can kind of start to feel very metaphysical and maybe like even like new agey for some people have resistance around language like that and be able to actually package that and digest that and bring that back into the New York city subway system and back to paying taxes and back to remembering your, you know, your social security number. How do we do that? I think you are, are spot on with people are having the psychedelic experience. And I have had literally thousands of people come to me and say, your experience with stroke that you have described in your book, My Stroke of Insight or in the TED Talk, uh, describes exactly my psilocybin trip. I worked so hard to get my brain back. I will never do anything that will um, uh, disrupt it and traumatize it at that level again. Uh, So I can't speak to that directly. I can only say what people have said to me. Um, But you're right. You know, you go in, you have this experience, you have the experience where you get blown out of being a solid and you perceive yourself now as all these collections, all these pixels, the whole universe has been exploded into all this stuff. And then you come down off of that trip and then you're like on the subway and you're looking at life going, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't make it, you know, something, there's no match here. There's a miss, right? There's a miss. And I think that, I think that for me, the biggest, because my experience lasted eight years, And my entire, I lost the left brain detail me. So that part of me became uh, the smaller part of my consciousness. And in the consciousness of existing inside of this bigger picture and realizing I may never get those skills back. So I have to figure out how do I do this well now? Then it was, it, Uh, It wasn't about me, the individual anymore, because in those conditions, we lose me, the individual, because the ego brain is the right in the left hemisphere. And so if we shut down the left hemisphere, then I dissolve into the universe. So then I have the experience that I feel open and and expansive in this big energy ball as big as the universe. Well, if that's really who and what I am, then I reduce myself by this left hemisphere back into being me, the individual. It's not half so satisfying, right? Because now all of a sudden I'm reduced instead of expanded. And the expansion is what are what we crave because we are that. We are both of these. So how do we integrate those? And for me, uh, the biggest shift was recognizing that I, the individual, I am not significant. Into my left hemisphere, I am the center of the universe. To my right hemisphere, I'm a piece of stardust and I don't matter at all. 
right? And so if I truly embrace that concept, then I can embrace that the left hemisphere allows me to be an individual, to have a past, to have a future, to be uh, have an individual life in relationship to the external world. But to the right hemisphere, this is where my creativity, my lack of judgment, my entrepreneurial possibilities, and my nurturing and my support and my collective whole consciousness is. And when I recognize that I'm all of this and I have the power to pick and choose, then it's like, oh, well, okay, how do I do that? What does that actually mean? And how can I purposely choose moment by moment who and how I want to be so I can live the life that I want to live? Um, so, so it's big, you know, really, uh, it, it disturbs me that our society is moving into a phase of psychedelics for several reasons. Um, the biggest one is that the psychedelic response, the response of the brain to a psychedelic is the trauma response, uh, which means by definition, it is trauma to these beautiful cells that I work so hard to make healthy again, right? Um, the other thing is that we are creating a new uh, flock of people who are experiencing schizophrenia. And the numbers are only going to get bigger as the FDA approves the psychedelics, et cetera. Um, and that's, that disturbs me greatly from a mental health perspective of our society. But I just heard that virtual reality has come up with a way of having the same impact on the brain and the experience uh, as psychedelics without actually having the, the direct trauma to the brain. I want to take a moment and share about something that has absolutely knocked my socks off and I was quite skeptical about in the beginning that is utilizing exogenous ketones as a fantastic source of fuel as mental clarity and it also reduces appetite which is kind of an interesting side effect as well um, i've done a whole podcast episode all about the benefits of it i really love using it before a podcast episode i just drank a bottle before reading this ad actually and it's it does an interesting thing it induces that similar sensation that you'd have after doing an extended fast and your body transitioning over into ketosis and uh, it's like a almost euphoric upbeat energetic cognitively clear sensation it's highly recommended i would i would just just give it a try uh, if you don't absolutely love it no worries you can get your money back but i think it's one of those things it's just it's supportive to have in your toolkit uh, so the company is called hbmn uh, the drink is called ketone iq i uh, recorded a whole podcast with the founder of the company and got into the deep details of what the heck is going on with this and i think you guys are going to dig it so go to hvmn.com and then check out type in the code align-20 and you will save 20 percent off on your purchase that's hvmn.com and then at checkout type in a-l-i-g-n-20 and you will receive 20 percent off your purchase i'm going to take a moment and share something that i have found to be very supportive for my digestive health that is supplementing with something called mass zymes from by optimizers as you age your body actually starts to produce fewer enzymes which are proteins responsible for digesting food fewer enzymes means more difficulty digesting food this is especially true if you cook your food because cooking kills enzymes this is why you may have digestion problems even after a healthy meal 
your body may just not have enough enzymes to get the job done. This is where supplementing with a high quality enzyme supplement can be a huge help. I am a truly a massive fan of Masszymes. I actually feel like an energetic pick-me-up after taking it, which is interesting and, and unexpected. Uh, so it is a best-in-class supplement loaded with full-spectrum enzymes for digesting proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Taking Masszymes daily helps top off your enzyme levels and replace the enzymes your body is no longer producing, which means you'll be able to eat all sorts of delicious foods and digest them quickly and effortlessly. One of the benefits of taking Masszymes is a reduction in bloating, so you might notice a flatter belly after eating, which is lovely. Uh, also, if you experience leaky gut, Masszymes could reduce gut irritation and help you absorb nutrients more effectively. Uh, I am a massive fan of this stuff. I think you guys will enjoy it, and you can get yourself a 10% discount you can give it a try if you do not absolutely love it you don't not notice an improvement in your digestion a reduction in bloating an increase in energy get your money back they have a one-year money-back guarantee uh and you can go to masszymes.com align to get started so it's m-a-s-s-z-y-m-e-s.com slash align and you can use align 10 at checkout for a 10 percent discount on any product from buy optimizers one year money back guarantee it is worth a shot to improve your digestion and uh, I think you guys enjoy it. So jump over to masszymes.com slash align. Doesn't the trauma also translate to things like neurogenesis and neuroplasticity? And, and could the that trauma- That is the exact, tra that is the traumatic response of the brain to trauma. But isn't it, couldn't you consider, and I don't have a, a dog in the race. I, I've, I've yeah. tried lots of psychedelics. I, I, I think meditation is really valuable. I think having a near death experience is really valuable. I think probably having a kid is really valuable. I think there's a lot of ways yeah. to kind of like peel your onion and kind of get into right. deeper layers of truth within yourself and fulfillment. Right. Um, but couldn't one consider exercise to be a bit of a trauma to the body as well? Well, you know, I'm in the brain. I don't see exercise as trauma to the brain. I think that I, well, you know, and I'm not going to say that all neuroplasticity or all neurogenesis is going to be a negative thing. My, my biggest concern from a, a societal perspective and is first of all, a whole lot of people will not have a positive experience on a psychedelic. They're just not going to have it. And that's why the researchers who are doing it, they're weeding out 98% of the people who want to participate in the research. Why? Well, they'll tell you. It's not appropriate for that specific brain structure. So does that mean they should go get some on the street and go have a, uh, you know, an underground experience? Mm, no, it's the structure of the brain. And, and I'm just so highly hyper-protective of, of getting these cells to perform uh, to the best of their ability. Now, I had, um, I had this incredible trauma to my brain. I had this incredible experience. I think that people being able to get to know what's going on in their right hemisphere is vitally important, which is why I wrote Whole Brain Living. Because whole brain living, and I've had uh, many, many people who have done psychedelics come to me and say, whole brain living is the tool that I can use to integrate my experience from psychedelics so that I don't have to keep using psychedelics. Okay. Now, if somebody goes and has psychedelic experience and they do it two or three times and they really fix a problem like post-traumatic stress, fantastic. My concern is we're now replacing 
something with a new addiction. And I don't want that to be become the new societal norm. Because again, we're going to end up with people turn on the, the, the circuitry inside of the brain that says, I want you to hallucinate. And then the drug goes away and the, the brain doesn't get the memo that now you're supposed to turn off your hallucination. So then we end up with more people with biological schizophrenia and their whole life is shot because of this experience. And, and I just want people to be cautious. That's all. Yeah. It's kind of like an exogenous spirituality, like reaching out for something to flip the switch when there also are ways to endogenously produce those experiences. I don't know that exogenous is or endogenous one is better or worse, or you know, it seems like if you can create it internally, it seems like, you know, probably the way, but it, it comes into another big topic. Your, your brother was diagnosed as yes. And that was because of cannabis. It was because of cannabis? Well, he was probably had a disposition He did, but we it, don't then- know that. You know, we didn't know that. A third of the cases of schizophrenia are caused by uh, taking a, an exogenous drug, in his case, cannabis, THC, and it triggered his ability to hallucinate and his delusional system never turned off. My neighbor boy is the exact same. I mean, this is reality. And we are losing beautiful young people, which who then end up, because then they're not getting educated about it. They're saying, oh, everybody's doing it. Let's do a little bit of LSD. Let's just have fun. And then it's like, oh boy, there went your whole life, your whole mental health for decades. And it's, it's just heart-wrenching. It's absolutely heart-wrenching to see what it's doing to these people. And this is reality. Yeah. And so that's- well, there's if, no if, way to know if you're going to be one of those or not. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Did you guys have any type of like ancestry Zero. or some type of- Very We have no one. We have mm. no one in our family line that has a severe mental illness. Mm. Zero. That's very interesting. And then within that, I think that it comes into like a whole another conversation of, of the way that our culture manages people that fall out of a, a term that I learned from you, neurotypical tendencies. So someone that's outside of the, the norm and into what now we would place in a container called schizophrenic or something of the sort. What do we do with that? What do we do with, with minds that don't fall into like what I believe I heard you as well to say it's normal is like what the 70% average of what people's tendencies are. And within that, that comes into something else that I find really fascinating, where it's like, well, about half of people in America are obese, you know, and it's, it's like soon to be over half of people. I think, I think it's a, it's a third or overweight. I think, I don't know. It's, it's, it's bridging on over half of Americans. It will be obese very soon. Um, you know, diabetes is a thing. Anxiety is a thing. Utilization of medications for these conditions. Like that's just becoming the norm. And so this, that's a very interesting where it's like, okay, as long as you're within the 70% of the pack, but then when you're starting to look at 70%, it's like, well, what if 70% of like, how do we define what is normal compared to what is like optimal? Right. And like what, what is optimal mental health? Right. Right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, what is reality? I mean, really? Let's <laughs> go big, right? It's like, who knows? You know? you know, I think it is a miracle that any two of us can communicate at all. 
I mean, really, when you stop and you think, here I am, I'm a biological collection of cells. You're a biological collection of cells. And just because we each have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, a couple of ears, and a bunch of, you know, limbs, we think we're sharing a common reality. And then we watch weird TV, and I'm telling you, there's some weird TV on there, right? <laughs> and it's like, and that's normal for that population, and you're going... Oh, my gosh. I mean, human. And that's part of it is, you know, as humanity, the difference between humanity and other mammals is the addition of this thinking tissue on top of the limbic emotional tissue. And other mammals have that emotional tissue. But now we've added tissue on both hemispheres. And so what we're doing as humanity is working the kinks out between the newly added on thinking tissue and the thinking, the emotional tissue below in both hemispheres, as well as emotion to emotion and thinking to thinking. And so this, we are in our own evolution. And um, things aren't going so well <laughs> right now, you know, and this is this is it, you know, and we either survive this and we do become more conscious human beings and we create a more conscious society or, you know, that was the human experiment and off we go and maybe next time the biology will figure it out more quickly. What, what can we learn from the schizophrenic brain? Oh my gosh. You know, schizophrenia is fascinating. In order to be diagnosed as having schizophrenia, you only have to have two things. One is you, your brain has to experience hallucination. So I'm going to hear things or I'm going to see things or I'm going to uh, smell things or even taste things or I'm going to feel things that other people don't see. And so let's say I could be sitting here and I could be seeing this kind of creature crawling out of my light socket over there. And I'd be keeping an eye on that socket because I'd be worried about that creature, right? And to me, I'm really seeing like something crawling out of the light socket, but everybody else isn't going to be seeing that. So I'm or having 70, a visual. 70% of the population doesn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <hopefully. laughs> yeah, and then the other thing is, I have to have a delusional thinking system. But but as we study more about the brains of people with schizophrenia, is the eye? There's this weird eye jerk thing that happens in the the eye of something like eighty six percent of people with schizophrenia. And so, a normal person, if you're watching a moving target go by, you leap in front of the target and then you land on the target. You leap in front of the target and then you land on the target. And that's how you track a moving target through space. It's beautiful. Cells doing beautiful things. People with schizophrenia, this large percent, they jump in front, they jump behind. They jump in front, they jump behind. Well, if they're not bringing in the same raw data and they're never pinpointing the same reality the normal brain is processing, it can never rearrange itself with new programming to figure out what is normal because the raw data is wrong. You see what I'm saying? So, so in that construct, if and they have an extremely high pain level, they have extremely acute uh, hearing at certain frequencies. So the actual raw data that they are bringing in to these beautiful brain cells in order to create a perception of reality is skewed away from normal at the raw data elementary level. So there's no way for us to really correct that 
All we can do is try to normalize certain circuits so that we think we're having a communication uh, with these individuals. And that's what medications are for. I, I wonder if there's some space for a person's delusions to hold some value, just maybe not within the dimension that 70% of us are occupying. And I wonder like if you were to go see a shaman or maybe some, maybe a psychic or maybe someone that's has access to something else and maybe some percentage of population say, that's just bullshit. Shoot that under the rug. It's just not a thing. But then they, there's, there's people that can make very interesting predictions and have very interesting spontaneous healings and very, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of channels going on. And we have this channel we call normal. But then if you look statistically at what normal is, I think, you know, normal is not doing that good. Right. So then well, it opens up. It's like, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're, you're exactly right. And when I look at my brother's brain and I look at which parts of his brain don't function well at all, I mean, I can see very specific circuits. Say, for example, uh, my mother asked my brother to put a small carpet in, uh, in her downstairs bathroom. So her bathroom, picture it as a square, and um, a corner of it gets cut out, a quarter of it gets cut out because that's a closet. So the carpet now is going to be uh, three quarters of this square. And so uh, one quarter is the entry, then the quarter is the sink, and then the quarter counter to that is the toilet. Makes sense, right? So a normal brain is going to go in there and it's going to look at it and assess everything and it's going to cut out a square and then it's going to make it fit, right? My brother, now my brother was the valedictorian of his high school class. Okay, this boy, teach him anything. He never studied. He never opened a book. He never did his homework. We were always worried about him in college because it was like he doesn't know how to study, but he was brilliant, right? He was one of those. So my brother, in order to take care of laying this carpet, cut it into four pieces. And then he laid each of those three pieces as they needed to be. And my mom and I are looking at him going, okay, well, those circuits are not working. The circuitry that would do that level of taking the spatial and engineering simplicity. Now, this was a guy who could make straight A's and calculus, analyte, Lord knows all kinds of really sophisticated mathematics, but he couldn't lay a carpet in a tiny little square. Yeah. And then, but then would there be certain strengths, like a person that's maybe on the spectrum or something of the sort where perhaps socially they don't do so well, but then there's excessive bandwidth going towards some other skill. And, and perhaps within our culture, we place the totality of this human condition into like a problem bucket. And and I, I wonder if perhaps we're, we're missing out on opportunities for said individuals, because there maybe there's many colors to the you know, right. human rainbow or whatever. Right. Well, you know, and, and that's, I mean, I, I understand exactly what you're saying because, and not just that, if that were true, I don't believe that that's been true for my brother and his schizophrenia. I do believe that people with autism who, or people who are on the scale of autism, who have very specific, amazing skills that they can do at the expense of other things that they cannot do, we're better at identifying that circuitry and working with these individuals in order to help them develop 
uh, those skill sets better. But then the question is, well, what do we do then? Do we try to take a person who excels in these other patterns of behavior and try to normalize them, which is actually taking away then, distracting away from what they're really good at? And is that the point of our society? Or is the point in our society in f- taking each individual and trying to help them figure out how to manifest best based on the what they're wired to be? And, and, uh, and, oh, so that's one thing, the individual. But then the other is the impact on those around them. So I know I do what I do because I have a brother who's been diagnosed with schizophrenia, who I love, who was a devastating loss to my family. And so I study the brain because of my brother. I'm fascinated with the brain because of my brother. Um, I mean, I grew up to be a brain scientist at Harvard because of my brother. And then I had my own weird neurological. And because of my brother, my brother taught me how to get up and fight for what I believe is, is, is right to fight for. And so he gave me what I needed in order for me to be able to then recover. So I know that, that whatever gift my life might be to my friends and colleagues and, and the world in any way, anything I bring forward, it is because of my brother. So I am his gift, if you will. And my neighbor who I mentioned, his sister is going to be just like me. She's going to dedicate her career to helping people like her brother because of, of that relationship. So, so, you know, is there a right? Is there a wrong? Is there a good? Is there a bad? Who knows? You know, I, I, as long as we're all trying to do the best that we can. And then unfortunately though, I will say, um, the medications for, um, uh, true psychiatric illnesses, um, whew, that's a hard road for anybody to walk down. Hmm. Yeah. If, if the, I guess the thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll move into, I want to go back into the, the whole brain living and your know, tools that people can utilize to start to integrate those parts themselves. But I guess the, the part within the idea of having different people having different psychiatric conditions or orientations is a sensation. I think that's fairly common is a person feeling like broken to some degree. And there are, we have like the misfit toys in culture and then we have like the normal good toys, you know, and who decides what's a good toy and what's not a good toy. I, I don't think that that was you or my's decision as, as young children. I think it came before that. And now we're informing it through these conversations and through our evolution. But that sensation of, you know, if you feel broken, you'll probably feel ashamed, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that sensation of shame and misplacement and disconnection mm-hmm. leads, mm-hmm. I think, to dis-ease. Right. And then dis-ease perpetuates shame and it becomes this knot, this tangle. And it's just coming into a place of like, how do we start to come into this place of, you know, when you were operating from your right hemisphere, there probably wasn't a lot of shame. No. There's probably a lot, a sensation of, you know. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was in the wow zone. You realize that. That what you just described was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Have you watched that movie lately? 
Not lately. You uh-uh. should watch it when it comes up. I hadn't watched it in like 30 years, and I watched it, and there is an island for the misfits. And the misfit toys are all the little toys that are, you know, it's like the little toys that's missing an arm or a leg or a head or whatever, and they take all the toys and they put them on the misfit island. And everybody's happy there because everything's okay there, you know. But anyway, because they're accepted. But but it is. It's about how do we become more accepting and compassionate and less judgmental and more loving people in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yeah, and to ourselves. Yeah, probably ultimately, you know, it's, ultimately it, that's then, where it's going to begin. So so I think that that would be an interesting segue into if you're open. I'd imagine you're open to talking about the you've four specific character types within whole brain living. And I think that within that, I would love to, to touch on those for people to, to have like a heuristics of, of how they can kind of navigate this within themselves. And then also I was kind of thinking of ways to nurture each of those aspects of self, because it seems like it's that integration of all of it that's really valuable. And it's something that else that's interesting. It, it feels like there's a, a, a pretty clear distinction in the way you describe character one, character two, and character three and character four. It's kind of like masculine, feminine. And then there's also crossover with the Jungian archetypes as well. So it's really brilliant the way that that plays out. And I don't know if you were, you found out about the Jungian archetype thing after you created it. Is that right? I did. I did. I And I, I was really thrilled when I, I did. So as far as the, the masculine feminine, so I'm just looking at the brain and I'm looking at the brain through the eyes of, a, of an anatomist and I'm saying, uh, okay, I, I lost my left hemisphere. And when I lost my left hemisphere, I lost um, uh, the part, the driving part of me that goes to work. Uh, I lost Jill Bolte Taylor. I had no consciousness of who or I, what, who I was as an individual. I lost all emotion and memory from the past, as well as any perception of the future. And I found myself right here in the right here, right now. And in the right here, right now, it's a great place. I mean, why wouldn't it be a great place? It's, oh my gosh, I'm alive, right? And and the emotional limbic tissue of that left hemisphere is experiential of the present. And then the thinking tissue of that right hemisphere is open and expansive. And literally, I'm in a ball of energy as big as the universe, walking around as this life force power in these 50 trillion beautiful cells. And if you don't think you're cool, you're not really paying attention, right? I mean, come on. Oh my God. We're this amazing miracle of life. I would place that into like the, the, what I'm saying, like symbolizes like the, the feminine. Yeah. And then the masculine is what holds that. Yeah. And it's the directive and it's okay, cool. I love your magic. I love your throwing colors at the wall and your creativity and you're just, just blissed out with just being this. Yeah. Like I just, I now love that do for you. With it and make a profit. Now, yeah, well, you have all these amazing ideas, but yeah. you have no foundation, no ground. Like right. you need some structure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, let's structure yeah. this magic. And if I'm going to be a functional <laughs> human and being in the world at all, I have to have that structure because society, life, academia, government is structure. 
right? So we have to have that order or, or we can't do anything with all of this, this, you know, energetic flopping around, creative possibilities, millions, you got to have both. So we have these two magnificent hemispheres. So yes, from that perspective, because the right hemisphere, because it's open and it's inclusive and it's not about me, the individual, then I see you as an extension of me. So of course I'm going to be compassionate and open and loving to you because you're a part of me. We're one thing here. But as soon as the left hemisphere comes online and then it says, oh, okay, no, now we're going to look for differences because I'm separate from you. And what are the differences? And I'm, I'm comfortable around that, which is familiar. And because I'm comfortable around that, which is familiar, then I'm familiar with people who look like me, people who speak my language, people who do things the way I kind of do things or believe the things I believe in. And so I'm really comfortable in that. And if I don't find that, then I'm not comfortable in the presence of that. And I judge that as superior or inferior to, to me. So I'm, I'm wired for my own familiarity. And when I don't find my own familiarity, the judgment comes in and I can push away and say, no, that's not for me. So I end up with a right, a wrong, a good, a bad. Here's the structure, fit yourself in the structure. And that's what the left hemisphere does so beautifully. Thank goodness we have it. It's a magnificent tool. And between the two of them, then we end up with both. And a lot of people will say, oh, but Jill, you know, I, I'm not creative at all. And it's like, well, yes, you are. Let's figure, let's explore, even if it's in how you judge. You may be creative in your process of judgment. Um, so, so it's, you know, we are just all end up being these very fascinating creatures um, and then between the two emotional and the two thinking modules of cells, each of those modules of cells has specific circuits making specific skill sets resulting in specific personalities. So we each end up with these four very specific personalities, which Carl Jung identified as the four primary archetypes. And you're right. I didn't know about that until I was riding around on my hydro bike, listening to a lecture. And it was like, oh my gosh, Carl Jung's four archetypes are the same as my four characters anatomically. And that's why they're archetypes because they are neuroanatomically programmed inside of our brain. So it, it just made perfect sense. And, how, yeah. how, how, does, how does a person assess each of their own internal characters or archetypes or whatever language you want to put on it? And then, so first drawing an assessment like, oh, wow, I am all character one, character two. And if we also, we also have to, if we could break down, like what are each of the character types? Yes. Um, so am I just all one and two, which would probably be a lot yes. of people in, in, in modernity. A lot um, of men in particular. And then within that, it's like, okay, uh, or whatever, maybe I'm kind of a lot of one, a little bit of three. And then within that is optimal kind of 25, 25, 25, or maybe 100, 100, 100% on each of one of those, like fully balanced, optimally, maybe depends on your task, what your intentions are. And then how do I specifically start to nurture each of those aspects of myself? I would say that the ultimate goal is not 25% on each one, but what is the ultimate goal is open communication between all four of them at any moment in time. 
and an awareness at any moment in time, which one am I and which one am I exhibiting? Okay, so we have these four groups of cells. Let's go through them. Character one is the left-thinking tissue inside of our left hemisphere. And this is unique to human. This is what we think of as our rational conscious brain. And in there is language. And so I have language and language, part of language is I am Jill Bolte Taylor. So it is my identity. I identify as an individual person. There's also a group of cells that in the association area that defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So I know that my face is my face, but these glasses that I keep on my face, they're not me. So I can identify what is me and what is not me because I have a holographic image inside of my character one defining me as me. So I have my identity through language. I have a holographic structure of me and I have linearity of thinking. So I have a past. I have an individual now and I have a future. So I become a bridge across time. And this part of me is in relationship to the external world. It takes me and puts me in the external world. And in the external world, I want to create order. I want to sort through things. I want to categorize through things. I want to be able to judge things. I define what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And I I have this, this is the part of me that goes to work. And it's this voice. Uh, if she becomes a teacher, she becomes uh, she puts on our earrings. She's the only part of me that actually wears earrings. So people can tell instantaneously if I'm in my character one, because I, and I even give her a name. I call her Helen, Hell on Wheels. She gets it done. She's busy. Uh, Helen shows up in the office. She takes calls. She does Zoom teachings. She does um, uh, you know, she's, my friends can call me on the phone and they hear this tone and they say, Oh, hi, Helen. You know, they know what that part of me. And they say, well, you know, will you like, uh, call me back later? And it's like, yes, I'll put it on the list because Helen is always running a list. This is the to do. This is the part of us that gets it done. And this is very efficient, very effective. Um, and, um, uh, that's our left thinking tissue. It's a part of us that goes to work. And we, we have to have that those cells doing those things because they're the only ones that do those things. The other parts of us, they don't care at all about that. I want to take a moment and share one of my absolute favorite recovery protocols. That is cold plunging. What I love about cold plunging is it's great for metabolism. It's great for the development of brown adipose tissue, which is more metabolically efficient than white, aka your like blubbery fat stuff that we're familiar with. Um, it is great for mood enhancement, great for cognitive clarity. Uh, my present go-to cold plunge that I'm utilizing at my own house is the ice barrel. The reason being, I can put it out on my porch and it sits vertically, which is rad. So it sits vertically, which means it can it can fit into smaller places. Uh, I can move it around quite easily when it's empty, which is fantastic. So I could take it to an event if I would like to as well. Um, and it's great. It's beautiful. It's got nice little steps. You can step up into it. I think it's cool. If you guys want to get yourself $125 off your own ice barrel, you can jump over to icebarrel.com slash align. That's I-C-E-B-A-R-R-E-L.com slash align. If you do not love 
the Ice Barrel. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied with your purchase, get your money back, no questions asked, no big deal. Uh, and also you get $125 off your purchase. So jump over to icebarrel.com slash line if you wanna start integrating a cold plunging protocol into your own life. I wanna take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent. That is going through the diagnostic process with LifeForce. LifeForce is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the LifeForce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health. From your nutrient levels, to hormone balance, to key risk factors for disease, and much more. The Life Force Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a Life Force functional medicine doctor, and she was absolutely amazing. I asked her a whole gamut of questions, and uh, I was probably a pretty annoying patient, I would say, because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers. She was incredibly welcoming, incredibly sweet, and just really brilliant with the information. Um, so she mapped out a very clear, concise plan uh, for me. Uh, she was working with me. I think it, I just felt very supported the whole time. Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly DHEA uh, and then also omegas. So they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and I swear to God, um, I, since starting these guys, I feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad, but it truly made a massive difference. My word recall, my energy levels, my libido um, has has significantly shifted since starting. So I'm freaking excited and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E.com and then use align code at checkout for 15% off. And that is a very meaningful 15% off as well. So I can't recommend it enough. I think you guys are going to really dig it. I think it's going to be really amazing for your own health journey. Jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the align code for 15% off. All right. So a couple, a couple mechanical questions I had before wrapping up. Um, Roger Sperry, split brain theory. How does that relate to your perspectives? How does that inform your perspectives? Are there any holes within that? Um, just these, what is that? I think that's an interesting thing just to hear from your, your perspective. Yeah. So Roger Sperry, uh, was a surgeon, uh, and back in the, he won the Nobel prize in I think 81 or 82, uh, for the split brain. And so what he did was he was a surgeon and he cut the corpus callosum and the corpus callosum is a collection of about 300 million axonal fibers that run between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. And his patients were having epileptic uh, seizure activity. And he thought, well, it's so destructive when, so picture a group of cells that just shoots and fires all of it, everything that it's got electrically. And then that focal group of cells gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so all these brain cells are now in trauma, having all of this explosion going off. 
And then it would pass over the opposite hemisphere, and then it would also cause trauma in the other hemisphere. And his patients were having such severe seizures that he thought, well, what will happen if I cut that corpus callosum? And then the energy can't get from one hemisphere to the other, and at least will preserve half of the person's brain. And so this was like, wow, new age, you know, uh, in those days, that was new age surgery. So he did that and it was very controversial. And there was a psychologist, um, Gazaniga, and Gazaniga did a whole bunch of psychological exams then on these people who now had split brain. And what Gazaniga recognized was that there were, uh, there were two, he observed there were two different people inside each of these different um, split brain patients. And uh, so there are all these beautiful examples of how uh, a man may be strangling his wife with one hand, and, which is representative of, of the of, uh, hemisphere, and then with the other hand fighting himself to rescue his wife, right? So one of his, one of his hemispheres wasn't happy with the wife and the other one was. Um, there, there was this woman who couldn't figure out what she wanted for dinner because one hemisphere wanted one type of cuisine and the other wanted another type of cuisine. Or in the morning, they were having conflict because one hemisphere wanted to put on one outfit and the other hemisphere wanted to put out the, on the other outfit. And so it really became clear that we had at least these two very separate personalities and they were, they kind of referred to them as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And part of the Dr. Jekyll uh, part was that the left hemisphere had language and the la and language meant it was smart. And so that became a, um, uh, looked at and perceived as a sophisticated, um, uh, in control part of who we are worthy of consciousness and life. But then this other character didn't have language and it had to communicate in other ways. And so it was seen as the oaf, the stupid part of who we are. And that really wasn't fair because the right hemisphere thinks in very different ways. It doesn't think in words. It thinks in big picture experiential. So when Roger Sperry um, uh, gave his Nobel um, speech, and it's a beautiful speech, you might want to read it. Um, you can find it online. Uh, but he talks about kind of what a bad rap the, our right brain has gotten because of its absence of language. And, um, and then somewhere along the line, because, and then, and then something happened and, and I don't know why. Um, and, but, uh, then, uh, Gazaniga kind of began to say, well, I don't feel that there are two inside of me. And so this can't be true. And then it was a matter of, well, our brain is different when it's together as one than when it is separate as two. And then, you know, kind of, and then we had the right brain fad and everybody was wearing flowers and colors and, and creative and intuitive and innovative and all that. 
uh, extreme. And then the left brain became, you know, very engineering, very science-based, very uh, methodical, blah, blah, blah. And so we had this bigger even kind of division because we took the kids who were really good at left brain stuff and had them go do left brain things. And we had kids who were really good at right brain stuff, go do right brain things. And so the divide got even bigger where what we should have done was taken the right brain kids and given them left brain school and given the left brain kids right brain school. And then it would have perhaps more balanced out uh, as us more as, as a whole brain, but we didn't do that. Uh, and then, you know, along comes a, a neuroanatomist at Harvard who gets the great experience experiment of, okay, we're going to take a neuroanatomist who thinks like this and we're going to wipe out her left hemisphere and see what she does with that. And, um, and really the ultimate, the, you know, it, it's a, an amazing journey. It's, it's a journey I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, it really gave me insight into what, what is going on in that right hemisphere. And then, and then what is the left hemisphere and who are these different characters inside of our brain and how can we get to know them? How can we create a relationship within them and live a whole brain life? And to me, I truly believe this is the evolution of humanity. This is where we're headed and that it's, uh, uh, we have choice in, in, uh, who and how we want to be in any moment. Yeah. It's all, it all is like, feels very kind of like poetic and romantic in a way, the convergence of, of self, you know, it probably, it's a lot of things, but it, you know, it's, it's probably really annoying and really obnoxious and really challenging and scary. <laughs> it's and, beautiful. Yeah. So at, at the end of conversations, when I remember to do so, we have one specific question that we put over in the Align community. There's a couple thousand people in there presently. This question that I have for you, we'll, we'll put over, over there. That's at alignpodcast.com slash community. The question that I have in relation to Roger Sperry and split brain theory is one of the things that he was big on from what I've read. Uh, he was big on movement and exercise. And he said things like, I don't know if it's exactly this, but some along the lines of like, your spine is like an accordion that plays the brain. And he said, I think like, 90% of the nutrition and, and circulation and such to the brain comes from movement of the spine. I'm it's paraphrasing and say exactly that, but something along those lines, he's like, you got to move the body. You got to wrinkle and move and twist and turn that spine in order to actually get the juice and the circulation and the connection and life to the mind or the brain. Yeah. So then that comes into how relevant is is movement specifically to the integration of these hemispheres and ourselves and these personality types? And also, I, I've heard differing perspectives of the value of like, does using our left side affect the right for maybe to, will we get more creative or get better at painting if we try to eat our spaghetti with our left hand? Does it make a difference if I'm a left kicker and a right-handed person and a right kicker? Like what's, how does the body come into this? If y'all would like to hear Dr. Jill's response to this question, you can jump over to the free Align community, which can be found at alignpodcast.com slash community. You also find a ton of fantastic exclusive content there around movement, training, self-care, mindfulness practices, and things of this sort, as well as other clips from previous guests. That is at alignpodcast.com slash community. 
I just so greatly appreciate you, uh, you, and you share, <laughs> you share your time here. So whole brain living, it seems like like a necessity for people to integrate the idea and then also the book, which, which describes the, the, the concept. But where, where should people go from here to go deeper into your work? And Amazon. is that, do you think that's the best place is whole brain living book or what's the best direction for people to go? Um, you can go through uh, drjilltaylor.com uh, and then, then you can click your way around that. Um, and, um, but you know, I, I think that that there's a, a kind of human being who really is interested in evolving it, to a higher level of differentiation. And up to this point, it has kind of been defined as the more left-brained I can be, uh, my value structure becomes me, I want more in that loop of it in and of itself that enough, there's never enough. There's always more to be had, more, more, more. There's a total lack of, of satisfaction. And in the right hemisphere, it's really an acceptance of what is. And in that acceptance of what is comes joy. And in joy comes a whole different level of purpose and meaning and connection. So for me, I, I truly believe whole brain living is, is a, a solution to us uh, up against our own uh, left brain um, demands and and uh, just you know we've we've skewed ourselves as a society. So let's shift ourselves back, and that will happen one brain at a time. Yeah, and in your another quote from you in your conversation with Oprah in two thousand, I think it was seventeen. She asked that what your purpose here on the planet is and you shared something along the lines of tip to, to share with other people that they have this everyone has inner peace within you said within the right hemisphere but i think it's within the, the integration the connection of, of of all of it but it's all there like it's sitting here or here or here but it's wherever a person is like that is here and there's these other parts and it's you know i think it's coming into relationship and communion with all those things. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for you. So thank you so much for sharing these moments. I look forward to seeing you in the human, in the, in the human form, in the real life. Hopefully well, we get to, we will make that happen. Uh, yeah, you know, do that. What a delight for me. Thank you for reaching out. And um, uh, yeah, no, it's been excellent for me and um, uh, thank whoever's going to edit us for editing us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and the, the last little, little bit, who, who are you now before you were Jill Bolte Taylor, Harvard superstar, all that, like who, who are you? I never know how to answer that question. <laughs> you know, you know, I am just so not about me anymore. The biggest difference between who I used to be and who I am now is, you know, I don't pursue anything. Everything I, I now sit in the presence of myself and I attract. And I look at what I attract and I say, is that, is that a good match for me or is that not a good match for me? And um, 99% of the time, it's not a good match for me. As I said earlier, I'm an inch wide and a mile deep. If it's whole brain living, I'm in. If it's not, it's like, I'm just, you know, my, I call my character three pig pen and she really does just want to go play. I I live a balanced life. I will live a balanced life. Anything that threatens me being a balanced person anymore, it's like, that's not the best Jill. It might make me more money. It might give me more titles. It might give me a trip to who knows where, which could be fantastic that I could brag about as a character one, but 
she died that day. You know, Helen is now just one of the pack. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you. it. That's a great way to wrap up. Yeah. Um, thank you all for tuning in. That is it. That is all over and out. I'll see you next week. Man, oh man, I would love to just keep on talking to Dr. Jill. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Um, I've really gotten a ton out of the idea of these four character types, which also crosses over with the Jungian archetypes, which is just so darn interesting. Uh, if you guys want to share this conversation, you think it's supportive to other people's lives, other people's minds, uh, then you can tag myself at Align Podcast on Instagram or wherever you do this. Uh, it's also uh, Align Podcast on YouTube, TikTok, all the different places. And you can also tag Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to go deeper into these topics, you might also enjoy the episode with Dr. Bruce Lipton uh, or Dr. Gabor Mate, or I mean, there's a ton. Uh, but those would be good places to start if you want to go deeper into these concepts. Appreciate you. Big kisses, big love. I'll see you next week.